Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. New to Crosswinds, it is uh, great to have you here. Uh, my name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors. And this morning, uh, we're going to do something a little different because I'm going to try and give a shorter sermon. Notice I said try and give a shorter sermon. Yeah, you can chuckle. I'll take it. That's no problem. But here's the deal. What we're going to try and do is, um, with the shorter sermon, we're going to, at the very end, we're going to have a sort of special presentation time. Uh, Pastor Jordan is here from the Spencer campus. Uh, Roland Schmidt is, is here this morning. And myself, the three of us are going to come up, and we want to give you a little heads up on some of the things that are going on and the great things that are happening in the Spencer campus. Uh, some issues about Spencer facilities, and also we want to give a pencil sketch on some of the funding strategies to be able to help Spencer with facilities, to be able to help Spirit Lake with future needs, and how we would move forward in future campuses. So this is just a, something we're going to do at the very end. It's pretty exciting. So with a shorter sermon, we're going to let you out early, grab a cup of coffee, and come on back in as we get a chance to talk about what our future holds here a little bit. Um, let me just go ahead and just dive right in with our text and our topic this morning. This is, a, even though this is a shorter sermon, this is sort of a really important message because we're going to be talking about relationships today. And we're going to be talking about relationships when they break down and when they fall apart and how to restore relationships when they break down and, and fall apart. And I, I know many of you have been through relationship breakdown. Some of you have been through minor relationship breakdown, but others of you have been through incredibly painful and, and difficult relationship breakdown. Maybe it was a divorce you went through, or maybe it was a spouse that, that cheated on you, or maybe it was a child that rebelled against you and that left home. And you all know that when a relationship breaks down, it's extremely painful. It's extremely difficult. And you would do everything you can to try and restore it, but sometimes it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. And before we jump into this topic, you need to understand that when God created the world, He didn't create it with broken relationships. He created the relationship between Adam and Eve. It was healthy, it was whole, it was strong. But there was something that came into the world that changed everything, and that was sin. When sin came into the world, it introduced breakdown in the relationship between Adam and Eve. And it actually it introduced breakdown in the relationships between people thereafter. So you think about where does divorce come from? Divorce comes from a problem in a couple relationship. But if you go all the way back, it goes back to sin. Sin is the re is, brings about divorce. You look at racism, which is a breakdown in relationship between races. It goes all the way back to have its source in sin. That's where it starts. You look at war, which is a breakdown in relationships between countries. It goes all the way back. Its source is sin. And the Bible is all about fixing this problem of sin because sin is what separates us from God and sin is what separates us from one another. And the message of the Bible is how God took the initiative to try and restore our relationship with Him through Jesus Christ 
And as he restores our relationship with him, he also restores our relationships with one another. So the message you need to understand is this morning as we look at relationships and broken relationships and how to restore them, the bottom line answer is relationships are only truly restored by God through grace with Jesus Christ as He is the one who takes care of our sin. He is the one who restores us in relationships with Him and He is the one who restores us in relationships with one another. And that is something you need to really keep in mind as we go through some of the practical issues about how to re reconcile broken relationships. But here's something else you need to know. And if you take out your outlines, we'll just start on the top here. Just to be really honest, the Bible is not naive on this thing. Just so you know, not every broken relationship can be fixed. It can't. The Bible tells us this. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. As much as you can do to restore a relationship, you do it. But guess what? Sometimes you cannot reconcile a relationship. Sometimes you cannot make it work. That may be your goal, but it may not actually happen. You can apologize for what you've done to break a relationship down, but the other person may not necessarily forgive you. Isn't that true? You can repent of, of what you've done. and You can choose to stop sinning against someone, but the other person may continue to hold the grudge over your head. It, it just Here's the deal. When it comes to forgiveness, which all of us are responsible to do, how many uh, people does it take to forgive? One, right? When it comes to reconciliation, when it comes to putting back a relationship and making a relationship work again, how many people does it take? Two. So the point is, as far as possible with us, we can offer forgiveness, we can repent of our sin, to do everything we can to make a relationship reconciled. But the truth is that unless the other person responds in like forgiveness, unless they respond in repentance, unless they respond in ceasing to choose their sin, you may not be able to reconcile a relationship and make it work together. The Bible is just plain honest on this. And we're going to see this as we start to study Genesis chapter 33 today. We're working our way consecutively through the book of Genesis, and as I said, we are in Genesis chapter 33. And what we're going to look at here is the reconciliation of two brothers, Jacob and Esau. And these guys have a long and standing like issue between them. They were literally fighting in utero. When you have children that are beating the tar out of each other and when they're still in their mom's belly, you know it is going to be bad. I mean, that, that's the way it was for these guys. And when they are born, they are as different as night and day. Totally different about the way they look, about the way they act, about the way they, the things they like. Not a lot of common ground between them. And to make matters worse, mom and dad played favorites. Mom liked Jacob, and dad liked Esau. So they continued to build the frustration and the friction between these two brothers. And Jacob, well, he was a cheater. He was a deceiver. 
And what he did is he stole uh, the birthright and the blessing from his brother and ultimately from his father. Now, I'm not going to get into all the details in the interest of time what the birthright and blessing are, but let's just essentially say that these are worth millions of dollars. He did things that would be considered criminal today for what he stole from his brother. And this built incredibly deep and terrible tension between Jacob and Esau. In fact, Esau was comforting himself, finally, at how he was going to kill Jacob. Now, I know some of you have been through, through some really painful and nasty divorces, and I'm not trying to make light of any of that, but you probably were not comforting yourself in how you were going to kill your former spouse, you know, whether it was going to be with a crowbar or a two-by-four. I mean, but that is essentially what Esau was doing. You know, how should, I do, how should I dispose of my brother, and what do I want to do with the body is what he's at. And so he... Jacob knows this, and he ends up running, running for his life, and he's out of town for 20 years. And during the time he's gone for 20 years, he picks up four wives and about 12 kids and does uh, financially well. And God, at his prompting, tells Jacob it's time to return to the promised land. And as he goes back into the promised land, while it is not a geographical necessity for him to cross paths with his brother, we learned last week that it is a spiritual necessity in his life. Because for the last 20 years, he has gone to bed at night, and when the life has finally slowed down and things are quiet, he keeps coming to his mind this incredible relational breakdown that has gone on between him and Esau constantly nagging on him on the things he did that were wrong and the things how he hurt his brother and he was nasty to his brother and the deep division between these two brothers that are actually family. Now today when we pick up Genesis chapter 33, we pick up the fact when Jacob is trying to reconcile his relationship with Esau. Esau uh, has heard that his brother is coming. He has left from his home in Mount Seir, and he's coming north, and he is bringing 400 men with him. So it does not look good. It looks like heads are going to roll. Esau had promised that, you know, when I get a hold of you, Jacob, I am going to, like, kill you. It looks like we're going to have a major, major relational, break, uh, relational fight Looks like things are going to get bloody. And uh, Jacob is trying to take the risk and restore this relationship and bring things back together. Now this morning what we're going to do is we're going to see what we can learn from how the relationship was restored about how we can try and restore our broken relationships too. So let's jump in here on point one. It's Genesis 33 verse 1. And here's the first thing just to tell you right up front. Relation or reconciliation, by the way, doesn't always work. It doesn't. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. Here's the simple point. As I said earlier, you can try and reconcile a relationship that's broken, but it takes two people working together with forgiveness to make a, mer or a relationship reconciliation take place. 
And because it takes two people, it doesn't always necessarily mean it's going to work. And I say this because as a pastor, I've had numerous times in my office a, a marital breakdown. And I've had a, you know, a husband on his knees, literally with tears in his eyes, begging for his wife to forgive him of what he's done, of how he has sinned against her and confessed that sin. And she sits there and she looks at him and says, no, I'm done. I do not want to work on this relationship. I do not trust you anymore. I do not love you. I don't care what you say or what you do. I am done. You see, that relationship, those kind of relationships don't come back together. Because while one person is desperately trying hard, they're repenting of their sin. They're seeking forgiveness. Unless the other person offers it, it's not going anywhere. And Jacob knows this. And Jacob knows that while he is seeking to restore the relationship with his brother, his brother is approaching with 400 armed men. And what could very easily happen is swords could start swinging. Heads could start rolling, and it could get really ugly. So what happens is, Jacob says, here's the deal. I'm going to divide my family in half. You know, half of them are going one way. Half of them are going the other way. That way, if, if Esau starts swinging swords, like the other half of them can run and have a chance to escape. Just real practical, because he knows this may not work. And here's a real... Here's a real practical application. Because when a relationship breaks down, it, because it takes two people to bring it back together, and even though you may try your darndest, it may not work. Here's what you need to understand. You need to always seek the best, but prepare for the worst. You seek the best when you try and re reconcile a relationship, but you prepare for the worse because it may not work. What this means if you're in a business and um, you are in a business partner relationship and one of the partners you find is like stealing from the till, uh, what do you do? Well, you seek the best. You try and do whatever you can to reconcile that relationship and get on the right relationship with that person. But you prepare for the worst, which means you probably need to talk to a lawyer and find out what you need to do to prepare for the fact that they may continue in their criminal activity. This means if you're in a marriage and all of a sudden you find out that your spouse is, is cheating on you and things are going really south in your marriage, what do you do? You seek the best. You do everything you can to produce reconciliation. You try and go about forgiveness. You try and go make the relationship work. But you prepare for the worst. You need to get counsel on what you should do and how you should prepare if the relationship cannot be restored. So that's the first point. Recognize that reconciliation doesn't always work because it involves how many people? Two, not just one. Second thing we see is this. Reconciliation always requires humility. Requires humility. It says, and he put the servants with their children in front. 
Then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. But he himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Sometimes the reason we don't see more relational reconciliation is because we don't see a great deal of humility out of people today. Humility is something that a lot of people say is, is, a, is a detriment. They say it is a liability. What oftentimes people are told to do is cultivate their ambition, cultivate their self-esteem, cultivate their pride because you are somebody important. You deserve better. You shouldn't have to endure that because this is not right. You shouldn't humble yourselves. But as Christians, I need to tell you guys that we have a different hero, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus is all about humility. In fact, it was God the Father who created the world, but it was Jesus who actually fashioned this entire universe that we live in. And it was God the Father who planned, the Bible says, redemption. But it was Jesus who humbled himself and carried out redemption. Jesus poured himself fully into a human body, fusing himself with a human body forever. So he could take and die on the cross in our place for our sins and to have all of his Father's wrath poured out on him, not for his sin, but for our sin. In humility, he did this for us. Why did he do this? Why did he have such humility? To reconcile us to God. And the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that in humility we should consider others better than ourselves. And we should strive to have that same kind of self-debasing humility in our lives that Jesus Christ had out of love for us. I mean, Jesus Christ, the one who created the entire universe, He washed people's feet, the lowest job of a servant. He picked out the crusty stuff from between people's toes. This is the guy who created the entire universe. He did this in love for us, ultimately to provide reconciliation between us and God and us and one another. Now, if there is going to be any kind of reconciliation in a broken marriage or any kind of reconciliation in a broken relationship that you have with somebody else, humility must be front and center. You have to have Christ's um, humility and how He just self-sacrificially gave Himself for us. We self-sacrificially give ourselves for others to try and restore that relationship. In fact, if you look at this, you see this is exactly what Jacob is doing to Esau. Jacob is a guy who at this point is filthy rich. He's quite, quite well off. 
Jacob is a guy um, who is the heir of his father's estate. Remember, he has the birthright and he has the blessing. But how does he approach Esau? He bows himself to the ground, puts his face on the ground seven times as he approaches him. Now, what you need to understand is this kind of approach is the kind of approach that a, a, a lowly person would do to a king. Total self-debasing humility. That's what Jacob does with Esau. Because if that broken relationship is ever going to be restored, there can be no room for pride in Jacob's life. Jacob has to humble himself and say, I was wrong. I cheated. I lied. I stole from you. I am sorry. I shouldn't have done this. Please forgive me. I am wrong. That is essentially what Jacob is doing as he approaches his brother, bowing his face to the ground seven times. Because if there's going to be any kind of reconciliation, let me say this again, in a broken relationship, whether that's a marriage or a friendship, you have to be incredibly humble. It's going to cost. It's going to hurt. And if you have an ounce of pride, it's never going to work. Now, you need to understand that humility is extremely powerful. We often see humility as a form of weakness, but humility is not a form of weakness. It's a great form of restoration. I don't know if this, this has ever happened to you before, but this happened to me, where somebody has done something offensive to you, maybe they have said something insulting to you, or they have done something that was hurtful to you, and you walk away from them, and your mind starts chewing on it. These guys, you, know, you guys are all starting to smile right now. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And you're getting angry, and you're like, this was so wrong. I can't believe they said this. I can't believe they did this. I am so just angry over this whole thing. And it's all beginning to build up, and the pressure inside of you is, you know, you're justified. And then what happens is that person comes up to you and you're about ready to just rip their head off and spit down their throat. And they say to you, I am so sorry. I can't believe I said that. I was so wrong. Please forgive me. It's not your fault at all. It is totally my fault. I want to repent. I want to apologize. I want to seek your forgiveness. It's my sin, not yours. They say that. And doesn't it all of a sudden, like, take all the pressure out of your life? Doesn't it all of a sudden just build bridges and restore relationships? Because it was done in humility. Let me say this again. If you are ever going to restore a broken relationship, you need to have a ton of humility in your life. Not pointing out what somebody else did wrong, but it's what I did wrong. Focus on what you can take responsibility for and what you can take ownership for. Don't focus on them. Focus on you and go forward with that. Now, but some people, let me just speak real honestly here. Some people don't like to do that. They don't like to be humble. 
And here is why. Because they are more concerned with looking good than with being good. Is that you? Are you more concerned with looking good or with actually being good? Sometimes I'll talk to you men, and they will have found themselves uh, maybe doing something a little inappropriate on the Internet or in an inappropriate relationship, and I'll say, you know, you need to talk to your wife. You need to confess your sin. You need to get it out in the open. And the guys sometimes will say to me, I can't do that. And I'll say, why? I said, well, she'll think I'm a pervert. I'm like, you are. <laughs> just like, just admit it. You know, stop trying to look good. Why don't you actually try to be good? Admit your sin. And I, they say, I can't do that. I'm like, you can't do that because you're not humble enough. You have too much pride. That's the problem. And that's why the relationship won't be restored. You need humility. Swallow your pride. Something else to tell you is if you sin, and you sin against somebody else, let's take the example of a husband sins against his wife, and say, you say, oh, I can't tell her because she doesn't know. She does know. Trust me, she knows. She can feel it, but she can't put her finger on it. She knows there's a sense of relational coldness. There's a sense that you're not being open with her, that you're not being honest with her. Something is hiding. Something is being a cancer in your relationship. She knows. And it's all because you're more committed to actually looking good than being good. You're more committed to your pride then you are your self-defacing humility. And folks, let me say it one last time. If you're ever going to restore a relationship and make things work, you need a ton of humility. Swallow your pride and take ownership of your sin. That's what we see that Jacob was doing in this situation. The story continues. When reconciliation works, by the way, it's completely worth the effort. It is. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and the children, he said, Well, who are these? And Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, and they and their children, and they bowed down. And Leah likewise, and her children drew near and bowed down. And at last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Sometimes it takes a lot of time to restore a broken relationship. Sometimes it takes a lot of effort. Sometimes it takes a lot of risk. In this situation, there was a huge amount of risk for Jacob because he knows that Esau was coming with 400 men, and he knows he is literally risking his family. He is risking his life to try and restore this relationship. But here's my point to you. You know what? When reconciliation works, it is totally worth the effort. It is. When reconciliation works, it's worth it. 
Because for the last 20 years, when Jacob and Esau have gone to sleep at night, even though they are in different parts of the world, they have gone to sleep at night, and you know in the quietness of the night that all of a sudden they have been thinking about each other. And Esau has been thinking about how he had threatened to kill his brother and how the hatred of what he had done, what his brother had done to him. And Jacob is thinking about this broken relationship with his own flesh and blood every night for 20 years. And from this point forward, they go to sleep at night, and that broken relationship is solved. I tell you, it was a risk. It was hard. It took you tons of humility. But they would say, and I think anybody who has a reconciled relationship would say, it is completely worth the effort to go through the hard work of getting there. Now, it doesn't directly say this in the text, but I'm going to just surmise from what I can read into the text about a little bit about what might have taken place. We know from last week that Jacob had sent um, servants and emissaries ahead of the game. And they had told Esau that he was coming, and they were going to try and restore the relationship. Esau sent, left with 400 men to try and meet Jacob. Jacob was totally freaking out because he was thinking that these 400 men were there to kill him and destroy his family. And quite possibly that is exactly what their intentions were. Now, I'm not saying this is exactly what took place, but I surmise this is what, what may have happened. That as Esau originally left, he planned on destroying his brother. The old hatred and animosity inside of him swelled up. But here's what may have happened. Just as God intervened, we saw a few weeks ago, in Laban's dreams and told Laban not to touch Jacob, I think what may have happened is God intervened into Esau's heart and changed it from hatred against his brother to loving and missing and longing to have a restored relationship with his brother. doesn't say it directly, but I suspect that is what happened. Because, of, because when Esau left, he left with 400 men. And we learned that in the previous weeks, that that is a, uh, essentially a militia. That is a small army he left with. And they didn't leave wearing party hats and blowing streamers. They were planning on, like, making heads roll. But apparently, God changed Esau's heart along the way. I don't know definitively that's what happened, but I suspect that's maybe what happened. And if so, there's a great point of application for us. Some of you are in difficult relationships. and Some of you are in difficult marriages. And in particular, there are some difficult marriages that you guys are in because one of you is a believer and the other one is an unbeliever. And sometimes the unbeliever chooses to leave. And the New Testament says that if you're in a marriage and the unbeliever chooses to leave, you can let them go. But it doesn't necessarily mean you have to let them go. Because what may happen 
is that God can change an unbeliever's heart from hatred against you to a desire for love and reconciliation with you. That is apparently what happened with Esau. He's an unbeliever. But he had a desire to restore the relationship with his brother that apparently was not there when he originally left with 400 armed men to see Jacob. doesn't say that definitively, but I am sort of a reading into it. I think that may be what happened. And this is such an encouragement that, you know, if you are in one of those broken relationships and broken marriages... You need to know that God can even change an unbeliever's heart from hatred for you to a desire to reconciliation with you. And that's God's amazing and powerful grace. Amen? That's good. The story continues. Reconciliation often includes restitution. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? And Jacob answered, Well, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, Well, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. But Jacob said, No, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that I brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. Remember where we left off, uh, previous chapters. Jacob had stolen the family birthright. Jacob had stolen the blessing. But as Jacob is coming back to see his brother, we saw that Jacob is all of a sudden sending this incredibly um, high-valued gifts to Esau. Last week we learned the quantity of animals that he sent. 550 animals Jacob sent to Esau. This is a gift that is fit for a king. Huge amount of wealth that Jacob sends ahead to Esau. And Here's what we need to pick out of this. Here's the great application point. If your broken relationship is broken because you took something that wasn't yours, like when Jacob stole the birthright and blessing from Esau, or if you broke something that you borrowed or used, if the broken relationship is broken because you've taken something or broke something or done something wrong, Reconciliation of that relationship requires restitution of what you have taken. Do you see where I'm going with this? What Jacob was doing was trying to restore some of essentially um, the stuff that he had taken from Esau. I know this is a little bit loose to put it that way, but that's what he's doing. He's sending this gift ahead of time saying, you know what? I've taken things. I've taken the blessing that wasn't mine to take. Let me restore to you some of the fruits of the blessing that I have. I want to make restitution for what I have done wrong. Now, some of us, what we love to do is just ask forgiveness but we don't want to pay the high cost of restoring what we've broken. 
You must be willing to pay the cost of restoring what you've broken. If you borrow a chainsaw and all of a sudden it breaks, buy a new chainsaw. Well, I was borrowing a chainsaw, you say, because I didn't want to buy one. Restore what you've broken or taken. That's just the way we do it. Otherwise, you'll have a relational breakdown. Now, here's another point I wanted to point out here. What you notice, by the way, is that Esau wanted to refuse taking it. Esau's like, don't give me your stuff. I already have enough. But Jacob keeps on insisting, no, please take it. You need to take it. Why does Jacob keep on insisting? Here's the thing you need to see. For there to be a reconciliation of that relationship, Esau needs to take some of that stuff from Jacob. Because it's a way of saying back to Jacob, I'm, I'm willing to make things right between us. I know you took things that weren't yours. Now I'm willing to take your gift and I'm going to make this relationship whole. Here's the point of application. If you have a broken relationship because you said you've taken something or you need to restore something, what often happens when we go to give back that chainsaw with a new one, that we broke by giving a new one to the person we borrowed it from? What do they say? Oh, no, you don't need to do that. Oh, please, no, don't do that. No, you don't need to do that. And a lot of times we go, oh, that's good. I really didn't want to give it anyway. And we walk away. And they know that. And in their heart, that relational breakdown stays, doesn't it? Even though you offered to pay it back, they refused. And since you didn't insist, since you didn't push, they didn't take it. Here's the application. Insist. Push. Just like Jacob did with Esau. No, you say, the person, you go to restore the money you've taken or you go to restore the chainsaw you've broken and the person says, don't, no, you don't need to do that. Say, no, I do need to do that. I really do need to do that and you really need to take this. You do. Because it's essential for this relationship to be restored between us. So every time you see that new chainsaw that replaced your old chainsaw, you say, you know what? That guy did wrong, but he did me right in the end. Every single time it comes back to mind that the relationship is restored. And every time you think of it, you know you did the right thing, not got away with doing the wrong thing. So it's important that you insist and you push on this. Point number five. We're going to move through quickly here. Sometimes reconciliation is followed by diplomatic separation. Let me read the text. Then Esau said, Let us journey on our way. I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that children are frail, and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. And if they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children, until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau said, well, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, well, what need is there? Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. 
So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir, but Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore the name of the place is called Succoth. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Paddan Aram. And he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. And there he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel. Now, there's a lot we could go into here, but we're just going to keep it really short because of the interest of time. And here's what I want to point out. Sometimes when you reconcile a relationship with somebody, it doesn't mean you all of a sudden become best buds doesn't mean you go out and get matching t-shirts. It doesn't mean you choose to ride a tandem bike through Arnold's Park and that you drink from the same cup. It really doesn't. Sometimes reconciliation involves sort of a diplomatic separation where you keep a safe distance between the two of you. Let me give you an example. Um, when I was in college, I had a friend, and uh, we just sort of hung out, not like a ton, but you know how it is, you hang out with friends in college. And this guy, what he was, is he, his summer job in college was cleaning the dorms. And he always felt he was pretty cool because he had a master key to every lock in the building because he was the janitor to do all the cleaning. Well, didn't think much of it, hung out with him. He couldn't quite cut it academically, so he wasn't able to come back in the fall semester. And a couple months into the fall semester, all of a sudden, he's knock at my door. I open the door, and there he is. And he has this really sort of upset look on his face. And I said, what's wrong? He said, I got to talk to you. I said, come on in, sit down. And he's shaking, he's looking at the floor, and he says, well, let me just tell you, he says, I need to confess what I've done wrong. What did you do? He says, well, I was using my master key to go into different people's rooms. In fact, I, I used my master key to go into your room. And I went through your stuff. And I, I found your journal. And that was my journal where I wrote out all my prayers. That was the journal where I confessed all my sins from high school in college, in prayer to God and asked for His forgiveness. And I detailed, in my, so I would write my prayers to God, everything that I had done wrong and confession and everything, the most intimate parts of my life. I put it in that journal. He said, well, you know, I saw your journal and I decided to read it. <laughs> so I, I, I read the whole thing from cover to cover. Uh, and I just wanted to know, would you forgive me? <laughs> After I took my heart out of my mouth and tried to put out of my mind the thoughts of killing him and burying the body, um, I knew I had a sort of choice to make. You know, would I forgive him or wouldn't I forgive him? And there really wasn't much of a choice if you know the Scriptures. So, you know, still completely shell-shocked and shaking, I said, yes, I forgive you. And I honestly, sincerely forgave him. And all of a sudden, he changed. He goes, oh, that's good. Tell you what, let's go out to the mall, he said. Then we can go out and go to the cafeteria and eat there. We haven't had a chance to do that for a while. Then we can go out to a movie. It's going to be great. Let's go and hang out together. And I looked at him like, are you serious? I'm like, dude, you completely violated me. 
you, you broke my trust. What you did is literally criminal. You know, I should be reporting your actions to the police. I have no trust in you. I have no respect in you. And I think we need a little separation here. Forgiveness does not mean automatic relational reconciliation to the fullest point. You know, because trust was broken. I know that his character had some serious, deep flaws in it. And it was not something I wanted to get too close to at that point. So I said, you know, I'm not hanging out with you. And he said, well, you didn't forgive me. I said, no, I do forgive you. I'm not holding it against you. I just think we need some safe boundaries in our relationship right now. And you need to understand that sometimes when you do seek reconciliation, and even if both parties forgive and both parties repent, that sometimes means you need to set some safe boundaries in that relationship so you don't break apart again, especially if deep trust has been broken. This is sort of the situation with Jacob and Esau. You have to understand these guys are completely different in nature. Esau, he's a, uh, his job is terrorism and war. That's what he does. He, that's his specialty. He's an unbeliever. Jacob's a little different. Jacob is sort of a dad to 12 kids. Uh, he watches animals eat grass. Totally different. He's a believer. He's trying to follow God. And what Esau is essentially saying is, oh, great, we're totally restored. Come back with me to Mount Seir. We're going to hang out. It's going to be like best bud times. And Jacob is like, this is not going to work. Like, all I let my kids watch is VeggieTale movies. But Esau, you have like a whole personal library of R and X-rated movies. I don't want my children coming home from Uncle Esau's traumatized because of what they saw on your TV. You know, I think it's best that we create some separation here. Now, by the way, Jacob lies and he deceives to get that separation, which is not good. It is not right. But separation, sort of like, a, let's keep us on a good ground and not put ourselves in all kinds of conflict, is the right thing in that case. Now, let me just wrap this up with the last point. Reconciliation is actually a demonstration of the power of Jesus to change a life. 2 Corinthians 5.19, that is that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Let me just say this one more time, that all relationship breakdowns is rooted in sin. That's the source of it. God didn't create the world that way. But God loves us, and He sent His Son to die for us. And when we trust in Jesus Christ and we repent of our sin, He restores us into a relationship with God, and He gives us the ability to restore our, uh, restore our relationships with one another. And if you're two Christians, chances are you should be able to reconcile your relationship. If you're one Christian and an unbeliever, you may not be able to reconcile your relationship because forgiveness and repentance takes how many people? One. You can forgive and you can repent, but reconciling of a relationship takes how many? Two. Two people forgiving and two people repenting. 
And an unbeliever may not necessarily do that. But the Scriptures say, as far as possible, live at peace with one another. As far as we can, we do everything we can to reconcile our relationship by repenting of our sin, by offering forgiveness of sins, and we humble ourselves just like Jesus Christ, and we take ownership of our sin. Because we're not committed to looking good. We're committed before God to actually being good. Amen? Amen. Dear Jesus, thank you for this chance to quickly sort of skip through Genesis chapter 33. And Jesus, we ask that you would help us to reconcile our broken relationships while we can't guarantee that we can reconcile every one of them, we know that as much as we can, we can repent of our sin, take ownership of our sin, and we can forgive sin, just like you have done to us. And this week, uh, I pray that you would help each one of us to repent, to forgive, and do our best to reconcile those broken relationships to your honor and glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.